I almost gave this sermon a title just using symbols. I almost gave it this title just with some symbols. I'm not going to explain this now. We'll let you try and figure that out. We'll come back to that at the end. But let's read the passage. This is Luke chapter 9. We'll read 46, 47, and 48. Those three verses. Luke chapter 9. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great." This is the word of the Lord, and this is what we are going to be looking at here today. So we're going to go through this bit by bit. And the first point that we will make, just seeing this argument that, that comes up with the disciples on who is the greatest, first point is that sinful hearts seek greatness by comparison. We have this desire to want to be great, to want to be seen as, as big, as important. This is another one of those stories in Scripture that I think gives a mark of authenticity to the Gospels because this is one more of those stories where the uh, apostles themselves are made uh, to look foolish. They're made to look like they are not the greatest example here. And if you were making a man-made religion, if you were making this all up, or if this was you know, later followers inventing these stories, this is the type of thing that you wouldn't put in there. So when you see these things, just realize this is these little marks that give authenticity, that help us see this is recorded because it actually did happen, even though it was embarrassing to some of these founders. But you have the, uh, the 12, the, the, the apostles, and you see them here, they're arguing about who is the greatest. Now maybe this was brought on by some of the uh, recent events that they had gone through. So if we've been here the past uh, few uh, weeks, you remember back, uh, if you look up in Luke 9, if you have Scripture, you'll see shortly before this was the transfiguration. And this is when Jesus... Uh, out of his uh, 12 apostles, he selected three of them, Peter, James, and John, and they went up on the mountain. And when they were up there, Jesus was uh, transfigured. So his, uh, the, kind of the veil over his glory was removed. And so uh, they saw a glimpse of his glory, what he, uh, more of what he would have been like from all eternity before coming uh, down to earth and being veiled in flesh. And it says that Moses and Elijah appeared and were there. And so there's this great experience, but and three of them got to, uh, to go on this. So you have to wonder if uh, some of the other apostles you know, were feeling a little bit jealous. How come they got to go do this and, and we didn't? And then afterwards they come down, there's this episode with healing a boy with an unclean spirit. Jesus foretells his death. And Luke doesn't record this, uh, but in Matthew it tells us that in between here, there's also this issue. They're going, they're at Capernaum. They need to pay a, a temple tax uh, for uh, Peter, and um, Jesus miraculously pays the temple tax. He has them go and uh, catch a fish, and there's the shekel in its mouth, 
and pays it for Peter and himself. So you wonder if there's certain things they're thinking, well, some of these apostles, they're getting special treatment. And so there's argument going as who is, who is the greatest. It's provoking this human nature that's in them, that we have this desire to want to be the greatest. And even though they already, they're privileged. I mean, they get to be the, Jesus' 12 closest uh, followers and have this special authority. But they're still thinking, okay, well, that's great that we're, you know, maybe in their mind above all the other followers of Jesus. But now, which of us is the greatest? And it shows what human nature can be like, that no matter who we're comparing ourselves to, we want to know, well, in this group, who, who ranks the highest here? Who is the highest percentile in whatever we we're valuing here so we can rank ourselves? People have this desire for greatest, and we tend to want to do it by comparison. And that's what these disciples were doing. If they're, if they're wanting to know who's the greatest, it's, well, who's the greatest of us? And what they are wondering is, how do I, how do I rank in the stack here? And what we need to realize is, how often do we do this ourselves? This isn't something that uh, just goes on with kids. This is something with adults, something that we realize that we all tend to, to look around and try to compare ourselves to those that are around us. We might think of, you know, uh, it's, you see examples with kids. You know, they might get a piece of pie, and that might be great that they have this piece of pie, but, oh, my brother has a piece. It looks like that one might be a little bit bigger. So now they're They're jealous. Who, you know, gets the most praise? And does this, this goes away when people become adults, right? Because we get mature and we don't do this? Oh, no, it doesn't. You know, and you could think of all kinds of examples, you know, at work. You're comparing, you know, everything from salary to who's got the, uh, the best, you know, office, the best parking space, uh, to the intangible things. Who seems to have the most respect of the, of the boss, of the fellow employees? We tend to want to rank ourselves. And whether it's an official status or just what is perceived as status, we want to know that. We compare ourselves with our neighbors. You know, who's got the greener lawn? Who looks the best? And all of this. I would say we're pretty good neighbors because we keep our lawn just slightly, as, uh, slightly worse than our neighbors. Okay, so out of love, out of Christian love, because <laughs> figure what do you really want? You want neighbors who, you don't want it looking terrible where it's an embarrassment, but so you can be just a little bit better. So I figured we're, we're being very loving neighbors by keeping it nice, but just a little bit less. But we can compare, you know, to other people around. It's not just the lawn. It's all kinds of different things. And for the past several years, we have this uh, amazing technological tool of comparison called Facebook that you can go on and see where all of your friends, uh, current and in the past, and people that you haven't thought of really for 30 years, uh, but now you can see, well, how are they doing in life? And at least how they present themselves. And you can try and present yourself to say, well, this is how I'm doing in life. Because we have this thing that in us that just we want to compare ourselves to each other. And I think one of the big messages of this passage is that Jesus is saying, don't do this. Stop this comparison to other people. Listen, comparison is corrosive. Comparison to other people is corrosive to your soul. Nothing good comes out of this. And we can spend so much time and so much of the energy of our heart looking at other people and comparing to other people, and it will do nothing but uh, breed acid in our hearts and destroy us from within. Comparison is corrosive. 
We see things in the news with the different hurricanes coming. I even wonder with that, you have Hurricane uh, Harvey uh, that just went through and was all the news. And now I kind of wonder, you know, and we pray for everyone that's impacted by these. You wonder how the people that just went through Hurricane Harvey are feeling now that now you got uh, Hurricane Irma is coming through. And if they're, some of them are thinking, well, we had this hurricane and now nobody's thinking about us anymore because you got this other big hurricane and which one's bigger and who's going to get the more tax dollars for rebuilding and all this. Just this competition and comparison that's all over the place. By the way, just an interesting side note, I saw a New York Times had an article about a, a couple in Spokane, Washington, recently celebrated their 75th anniversary. Their names were Harvey and Irma. That was great. It said that she's 93 and he is 104. So Harvey and Irma, that's awesome. Realize, 93 and 104, that's quite an age gap, actually. So it, he's kind of old for her. Probably won't last. Uh, <laughs> man, comparison. <laughs> I mean, you could, be, you could be a great composer. Remember sort of Moz, or, uh, Mozart and that other guy? Okay. He's just the other guy because you don't even remember who he is. You're not, you know, going and buying albums, you know, by him because he has to compete with Mozart. So Salieri, by the way, for those who are trying to remember who that is. And in Scripture, too, King Saul and David. That would be another example. King Saul is, is king of Israel. But what happens? What is it that really gets his goat? David is coming up, and he is being a warrior. And it says in 1 Samuel 18, Saul hears that, um, King Saul hears that the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. You say, well, that's pretty awesome. He struck down thousands. But if they go on, David is ten thousands. And it says, Saul became very angry. This comparison. And it says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. And that's what happens when we're, we get consumed with comparison, when that becomes this corrosive thing in our heart. We, we start eyeing other people. How are we ranking with them? Am I still above them? Are they below me? And nothing good comes of this. Because greatness, true greatness, cannot be measured through comparison with others. Don't try it. Get, we have to work to get that out of our heart because it's deeply rooted in there. And even if this was an okay thing to do, it just doesn't work for one because there's always going to be somebody that's, that's better, that's bigger, that's smarter, that's richer, that's more powerful, more successful. So even if you feel like you have risen to the top, now there's this new uh, you know, group that you're in and, well, how do I rank in this group? And if you are trying to get your self-worth from that, you will never be satisfied. It will always be empty and it will corrode your soul. Even if you became the, the king of the whole empire, you would still have to wonder, well, am I the best king of all time? There's no way to win. And the end result, comparison always leads to one of two things. It will always lead to either pride or it will lead to self-pity. And either of those are a bad way to end up. I mean, what was Satan's sin that he committed when he fell against God. When uh, he was created as Lucifer and Scripture teaches the highest of the angelic beings. And he could have looked down and said, you know, of all these creatures that God has made so far, I am, the, I am 
the, the greatest. I'm the most beautiful, the most wonderful of all the, all the angelic beings. Uh, but he realized, well, there's still one that's better than me. That's God himself. And I want to ascend. I want to, be, I want to be up there with him. I want to be above him even. So if you compare yourself with others and you find that, yeah, I am better than other people, it's just going to lead to a sinful pride in our hearts that is, can be the root of so much sin and is a terrible sin ourselves. On the other hand, you look and you compare yourself to other people and if you find, I don't match up. And whatever the, uh, the metric is that you're using to compare and figure out your self-worth, if you're like, God, they're better than me, then it's just going to lead to self-pity. And you realize how corrosive and how, I would say, sinful self-pity is? Some of us write it off and say, well, I just have, I have low self-esteem and therefore it's, it's okay. But self-pity is just thwarted pride. Self-pity is when we say to ourselves, I want to be great, I deserve to be great, and I am having pity on myself because I'm not as great as I feel that I should be. And so, when we engage in comparison with other people, the end result is going to be one of those two things. And either of those are something that is not God's will and God's best for your life. So we need to just do away with trying to compare ourselves to other people. And that's going to be a constant battle because it's so easy to do. So this is going on in the hearts of the apostles. And Jesus knows this. And it says in verse 47, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, so he knows this is what's going on. He knows this is, he is the master of knowing what is going on in our hearts, even more than we do. And so we we look at this word and what it says for us, because God's word is living and active. It's this scalpel that can cut into our heart and say, what's really going on in there? To really examine us. So let's look at the next verses. We'll summarize by saying, that to, to love, we need to love Jesus by loving the insignificant ones that he loves but others ignore. Verse 47, But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives him, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So why did Jesus take a child? And why did he do this? You see, we tend to value the important people. The people that will help us to feel that we are important by comparison. You know, if we are able to to work with the real important people, if we have their ear, if we are able to associate, either to, if we can't be the boss, if we we can at least be the the right-hand person of the, the boss or the big guy. That's what we want to do. If you can have the most important clients, if you can have the most important people that you hobnob with, that you can, we, you can feel good about that, you can name drop here and there. The things that we can use to feel really good by comparison, but that doesn't really work real well with children. They don't have that same kind of social you know, capital. There's no, not a whole lot of political payback in, in serving children. In fact, regarding children, one of the ancient rabbis, not in scripture, but in uh, early times, wrote this. He said, morning sleep, midday wine, chattering with children, and tarrying in places where men of the common people assemble destroy a man. 
So these were a list of things. He said that destroy someone, and one of those is, yeah, you waste all time chattering with, with children. It's not anything that's worth doing. So yeah, the children were not viewed as significant. They were just kind of there. You, kind of, you, you need them, they're kind of in the, in the way. And so Jesus, by doing this, he's taking someone that uh, other people wouldn't have noticed, and if they did, they would say, get this kid out of here. This, uh, these, this, what is he doing? We're having this conversation with Jesus and his apostles and teaching, and you got some little kid running around. And instead, Jesus calls him and takes him and shows his care and his love for this children, for, the, for this child, and says to the apostles, if you want to be great, care for children like this. See, Jesus was teaching us that we need to value not just those that can benefit us. That's easy to do. We want to do that. Jesus was teaching us to value those that, that don't have benefit to us. And we're to value them for Jesus' sake. It says, whoever receives him, this child in my name. So we're, we're valuing people for Jesus' sake. We're doing it because we realize that, that Jesus loves them. And because we love Jesus, we want to love and value those that Jesus loves. Whether or not our people around us, our society values us, whether it gives us status points or not, that's not what is to be our concern. It's to love those who Jesus loves. Even if everyone else considers them to be supposedly insignificant. We love them because he values them and because we want them to know Jesus too. We want their lives to be transformed. We want them to, to get to know Jesus and to treasure him and to glory in Jesus Christ, his name, his renown, his reputation, for their life to be transformed. So Jesus is saying, you're all worried about who gets to hang out with uh, me when we go up on the mountain. You're all worried about who gets to... Uh, see you know, Moses and Elijah and be able to name drop that. He's saying that's not where true greatness comes from. It's not even about just being you know, the special right-hand man to Jesus. It's, do you love those that I love? Who do you want to be known to be with? Who do you want to be known to minister to? Let me ask, do we feel this way in our society too? We said at that time, you know, they thought of children as being insignificant or at least less. Uh, I, I would say in our society, we, we value children. At least we tend to value our own children. And oftentimes that's how it is. We, we value ours, but you know, other people's kids or um, kids you know, in, the, in the community that maybe don't even have parents that, that know Jesus Christ. You know, we can be very isolated uh, with, our, with our own, but do we care about others or do we not notice them? Do we feel that it is more valuable and a higher status to minister to certain people rather than others? Let me ask you this. I've, over the years, a common thing that um, sometimes youth pastors have to put up with is the question, so when are you going to be a real pastor? I hope that you never say that here and don't think that. But I know... There are many times where in the past I've heard that and others have too. What does that imply? Well, one, you're not a real pastor, which isn't true. But also it tends to imply, well, if you're ministering to adults, I mean, that's, you're in the major leagues, right? 
But if you're ministering to students who only have their whole lives ahead of them, okay, you're somehow in the minor leagues. And if you minister to children, oh, that's, that's even worse. That's, I don't, you know, that's Little League or something. And maybe you do that for a while until you can, you know, you know advance and to do something with a higher status. No, we wouldn't say that, but there's sometimes we, we, kind, of, we kind of think that. There's a story of the, the great evangelist uh, D.L. Moody in the 1800s. And uh, he came home one night after an evangelistic meeting. And his family asked him how many converts he had had that night. And he said, two and a half. And his family said, oh, you had, you had two adults and one child that, that came to faith and accepted Jesus Christ? And Moody said, no. Uh, two children and one adult accepted the Lord. And he said the adult was, a, was an older man and he only had part of his life left to, to give. But the children, they had their whole lives ahead of them. I read some statistics recently, and I've heard different varieties of this. It said that 43% of all people that come to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before the age of 13. Before the age of 13, 43%. Another 21% by the age of 18. So that's 64% total. That's, that's two-thirds right there. Another 13% by the age of 21, which is 77% total. Leaving, according to this, just 23% that come to faith as adults. So is it, is it less important to pour your lives out for, for youth, for children? They have the, their whole lives ahead of them? Wes Stafford, the author of a book, Too Small to Ignore, he tells a story of one time that he went back to speak at the college that he had attended in Chicago, which is actually where I attended as well. And when he was speaking... He, had, he asked the, uh, the college sport team to stand up. And everyone erupted into applause for the college sports team. Yeah, they were so excited for them. And they had them sit down after this thunderous applause. He was talking about uh, children and, and this message and caring for them. And he said, now, I would like all the Christian education majors to stand up. And people kind of wondered, well, why is he doing this? And okay, we'll applaud. He said, no, these are your real heroes. These are the ones that are going to be reaching people that have a whole life ahead of them, that, that they have this, this foundation that they can give them that will carry on. He said, these are your real heroes. You should be applauding for them. And, you know, reading that, it gave me this, this thought. You know, we're at the start of a new, new program year. Let me ask you to do this. Could I have those of you here that teach Sunday school? Could I have you stand up? If you teach Sunday school for children or youth, could I ask you to please stand up right now? (laughs) Stay standing. If you teach for Kids Blast, if you teach for Kingdom Kids, could you please stand up? 
If you mentor kids on Wednesdays, if you are involved with Word of Life, if you are involved with Gophers, if you are a youth leader, would you please stand up? Nick, you didn't stand up. (laughs) Nick, would you please stand up? And we can keep going. Those of you that are plugged in with your volunteering in nursery, thank you so much. Those of you that are involved in VBS and all these different ways. Those of you that are parents pouring into your kids. And some of you, not only your kids, but you're pouring into the neighbor's kids. You're pouring into others. Thank you so much for doing that. There's so much value in what you do. And when I say this, This isn't meant to take away from other people that are serving in other areas according to your calling. It's important for you to be serving according to the way that God has called you. But I want you to know that for those of you that are are ministering to children, although there might be times that it's viewed by some wrongly as some kind of minor league thing, it is not. You are doing something very, very valuable. And I want to say too, and by the way, there's other people that weren't able to stand because right now they are ministering to kids. They're in Kingdom Kids, they're in Kids Blast, they're in nursery, they're doing these things. When you go pick up your kids, give them a big thank you, okay? And these are such valuable programs. I hope if you don't have your family involved in Sunday school, it's the beginning of the year, make that happen. I know it's getting up a little bit earlier. It's so worth it. And it's still, you get to still sleep in more than you do on a school day. It is so worth it for that foundation that you're giving your kids for eternity, to, to supplement what you're doing at home. And I want to say I'm glad that I serve at a church that values young people, that values children, all children, including those with special needs. I'm very glad that we have that concern. For some that other people might look past. And you know, I think Jesus is teaching, it's not just about, well, who's got the most years ahead of them? Okay, that's not the the main point that I want to get out of this. It's caring for those, valuing those that Jesus values, even if many people consider them to be less significant. And this would also include caring about those at the end of life as well. That sometimes we tend to write off or think, well, they don't have much left to, to offer. What does Jesus think about them? And maybe in biblical times, they valued, you know, their elders Uh, more than we do. But what should be our view? Jesus' main point was not to calculate the value of people based on their utility to us. It was what is their their value as people that he loves. By the way, we do have a a care ministry meeting next week after the AM service. A way that you can be involved showing care to shut-ins and to others that need special care. So the big point of all this is to be attentive to the lowly. Be kind to the lowly and and the, quote, insignificant for Christ's sake. There are people that sometimes we don't notice that we need to do a better job of noticing, that we need to do a better job of caring for. And sometimes, you know, we can get into pity parties thinking, okay, so I want to say two things. Sometimes we need to be told, yeah, we need to notice more people. We need to look around and actually notice them. It also means that sometimes 
There might, if you're in the audience right now, you're thinking, yeah, people need to notice me more. Okay? Well, don't hang your head down because while you're doing that, you're not noticing people too. Okay? You think about who you need to notice, who you can be a blessing to. And if we're all doing that, we're all going to be following Jesus more the way that we need to. Seeing the unimportant as important is more important than being important. Let me say that again, because this is important. (laughs) Seeing the unimportant as important is more important than being important. And from heaven, it would have been very easy for God to look down and to overlook you and I, would it not, Ben? I mean, who are we? Yet the Son of God did not do that. The Father, the Spirit did not do that. Instead, Christ was sent to this world for for insignificant us to take our very significant sins and pay for them on the cross. And that is why he came for us. And so we need to follow Jesus' example. Humility is Christ-like. So in God's eyes, less is more. Less is more in God's eyes. And this section ends, Jesus says, For he who is least among you all is the one who is greatest, is the one who is great. Again, we're so tempted to seek greatness for ourselves. They say a master pets his dog, and the, the dog says, He must be God. A master pets his cat, and it purrs, I must be God. (laughs) This is a battle between the mega and the micro. You know the words here that say least and greatest? In Greek, the word for, uh, for, for great in here is basically from the word megas. Okay, we say something is mega. It means, it means great. It means big. The word for least here means micro, is micros, or from that word. Microscopic. And so in God's eyes, the battle between mega and micro, micro wins. Jesus redefines what greatness is. That's what we need to get out of this. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. That's why I think I could have given the sermon this title here. Remember math class and the greater than and less than symbol? To be less than is greater than to be greater than in God's eyes. Less is more. Okay? Go small or go home. Are you seeking praise or are you seeking to serve? To serve even the least. To serve the least ones for the sake of the greatest one. And some people, the problem is they're too big to be of use to God. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, When you are nothing, then you are great. The Lord take away from us the black drops of pride that make us stand up on our dignity and think that we must be somebody. Somebody? God will, you, God will not use you as long as you are somebody. But when you are nobody... Then, God, then will God greatly magnify you and use you in his church. If you want somebody to compare yourself to, 
We said comparison is corrosive, but if you want somebody to compare yourself to, don't compare it to other people around you. Because you, in pride, you'll always, you could find somebody that's less than you, so you can think you're greater, or you're going to find somebody greater, and then you're going to have a self-pity party. If you want to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to God. Compare yourself to Him. And when you do, you're going to realize how big He is and how small we are. And it's okay to be small when we compare ourselves to Him. We are more than microscopic because He is more than mega. It is okay to be small. Compare yourself to God and glory in your smallness and in His greatness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God that is incomparably great. God, help us to not have our eyes looking around to other people to compare ourselves to and to fall into pride or self-pity, but to focus on you and to see your greatness and our smallness and to follow after you by noticing and caring for those that you care about, those that your eyes are upon, and to do it for your sake and for your glory. Thank you that although we are small, you care for us with a love that is so big. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.